Okay, we are rolling, gentlemen, so if you will care to begin the program. Church in Space! So welcome, everybody, to Church in Space, the podcast devoted to making space for weird people in the church, and we're doing that by talking about science fiction every week. With three of the weirdest people in the church that have been made space for. Definitely not. Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Drew's actually been at this church longer than anybody else in this room, so he knows how weird people really can be. Yes. (laughs) It doesn't come out that much. But it's there. It's there. It's just very hidden, very Lutheran way to like push it down and like kind of repress the weirdness. And we're trying to solve that with this podcast. We're trying to bring it all up to the boil because we want people to be honest with their weirdom. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is the Lutheran version of Get Your Freak On. There we go. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> For introductions, I am Pastor Dave, and I am pastor at Resurrection Lutheran Church in Hilliard, Ohio. I am Drew Nelson. I'm from over there, and I also hate the internet. Okay. I'm Dan Michalko, and I'm from the other side of over there, across the tracks from Drew. Okay. And this is Church in Space in 3D. Hey, we nailed that. Yes. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it's Mandalorian Day. We're going to talk yes. about Star Wars and Mandalorian. We're going to yes. do it, and audience, this is why this relates, is because in church we had the Ephesians Armor of God reading. And I had all sorts of colleagues talk about how they were going to fit the Mandalorian into a sermon, and I couldn't manage to make it work. I tried. I really did. And then I told Drew that I tried, and Drew did it in about 10 seconds. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) There it is. Yep. Um, (laughs) So this is our geeking out over Star Wars and the Mandalorian. So start with, are the Mandalorians a good illustration of Christians? Yes and no. Okay. Do you feel firmly that way? I feel like it's what we should want to be, mm-hmm. but not what we are. Okay. Like us striving to be this collective, all sharing the same ideal, all working towards one goal. Mm-hmm. But too often it just breaks off into the different sex. Yeah. But I do want to bring up this point before we go further. Everyone should be watching The Mandalorian. And if you're not, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> plug, <laughs> but plug, it's worth it. Plug, plug. Yes. <laughs> You know, where I'm going with the parallel listeners is not that I want us all to become, you know, mercenaries and bounty hunters, but not that I want us all to become religious fanatics per se, and not that I want us to become bounty hunters, but like there are, I think you're right, a lot of parallels about, you know, these people who are very devoted to a clear way of life. Mm -hmm. That way of life is different from kind of everybody else around you, and it marks them as different Mm -hmm. and strange. So they're existing in this strange world, and it it's centered around real community. And to get the parallels even further, like real physical means for them, it's this armor, but it's physical means that this faith is communicated through, just like with us, right? That's why we do communion and baptism and all these physical means. The community centered around that. At its best, that's what I hope it is. I honestly hope that like church is just as weird. As the Mandalorians seem, like whenever he walks in that bar, you know, and he's just the oddest person there, and it's very clear, and it's like, I hope church is that. However often, it's not. There are other parallels, too, like the emphasis on the foundlings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how much you have a foundling, you take care of it. Right. Yep. Even to the point where a particular foundling may be from your enemy. Right. Mm-hmm. But you found it. Right. You raise yeah. it. If at the end you've got to turn it back over to the enemy— 
that's what happens. But, that's yeah, what happens. That's the sacrifice you make. Right. What you do, you know. To the Mandalorian and the Mandalorian ethos, mm-hmm. you are so devoted to the creed mm-hmm. that even though it goes against your personal self-interest, yeah. you buck up and you do what is right. Right. Yeah. yeah. This is the way. This is this, the way. This is the way. Right. And even that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that was intentional. Sometimes mm. things just happen. But the very fact that the original term for Christians were followers of the way. Right. And now the Mandalorians, this is the way. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. that may be a blatant call out on Favreau's part and you know, the creators, but it is a parallel. I mean, I also think it's just like, this is the way, this is the way we're going to do it. Right. Don't deviate from this path because, you know, bad things will happen. Right. Going back to the armor of God thing, one great analogy is how we can say that Beskar or the metal for all the Mandalorian's armor mm. is faith. And with your faith, you can close yourself in the armor of God. Mm-hmm. Ah, there's yeah. another reference to that, inference in that, in yeah. that when he is getting some new armor forged, I remember one of the other Mandalorians picks up the ingot mm-hmm. and says, this has an imperial stamp. Mm-hmm. So it's been tainted. Yeah. yeah. Like faith has been tainted mm-hmm. by the dark side. Yeah, there's a real interesting just like ethical thing there of like means versus ends Mm -hmm. you know and like that show's always trying to negotiate mando himself is always trying to like negotiate you know am i am i the ruthless bounty hunting killer bounty hunting killer do the ends justify the means and the ends is i get paid for the contract or am i the honorable warrior who follows the creed and follows the code despite whatever happens yeah well and they bring that up you know there's the Mm -hmm. whole point first there's the conflict with the Bounty Hunters Guild, which mm-hmm. Mando's part of, yeah, he asked flat out. Obviously, the child has gotten to him, and he asked, mm-hmm. what are they going to do with it? Right. And the leader of the guild flat out tells him, we don't ask questions. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. You just, you take the money, you do the job, mm-hmm. end of story. You don't ask questions about the ethics of it, what's going right. on, yeah. who's good or who's bad. Right. Yeah. You got paid, and that's the end of it. But then... Several episodes down, mm-hmm. one of the other bounty hunters basically says, well, you're a man of honor. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, oh. So even the bounty hunters know, even amidst right. the outsiders yeah. known as the bounty hunters, right. he's an outsider. Right. Yeah. Because he does have honor. Right. The old Mandalorians did have armor before really the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. What was the terrorist organization? Death Watch. De- yes. Yeah. yeah Death, Watch. Death Watch. So in Clone Wars, a sect of Mandalorians kind of broke off from the main planet because mm-hmm. at that point Mandalore was a planet and a people all in this big dome they wanted free Mandalore went on their own ways and sided with Count Dooku and caused a whole bunch of havoc mm-hmm. and led to the killing of the queen and like the entire council that governed Mandalore mm-hmm. I don't know where I was going with this just geeking out over yeah, Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's fine. But uh, it's but what that, we do. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's what we do. This is our way. Yes, this is this is our way. Yes. But you can see that happening in churches too. I mean, I brought it up kind of last week, like the Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah. They kind of split off and did their own thing and it kind of tainted mm-hmm. everyone saw what the Westboro Baptist Church is and assumed that that's what Christians are, except yeah. No, it's not. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was reading a political commentary today. The theme of the commentary was, is religion necessary for the defense of democracy? One of the subtexts in there, he was Mm -hmm. asking the question of, this is an important thing for us to consider now, because with the deep political divides that have happened, Mm -hmm. you have people who proclaim themselves to be very devout Christians, Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. who are radically in support of politicians who are the antithesis of Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's why he's asking this question. Yeah. How can you do that? Why would you right. cut off your religious beliefs mm-hmm. and its ideologies to support someone who is completely contradictory to that? Yeah. It was a nice exploration of it, but I think it gets to the same thing with Death Watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where does the sacrifice of your values mean that you have gone to the dark side? Because if you're not living those values, mm-hmm. are you right. Mandalorian? or Christian, or Buddhist, or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. If you have sacrificed all your values, supposedly in defense of your values, yeah. Yeah. faith, well, or people, or culture, or whatever. Jesus is a great line in the Gospels where Jesus says, gain the whole world, but lose your soul. And yeah, it's not worth it, kind of in the end. Absolutely. Going back to last week's point about how Christians are born into hypocrisy, mm-hmm. I mean, so are the Mandalorians. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. then they want to strive towards the way. Mm-hmm. And that's obvious going through the season one arc and very much in season two about striving for the way. There is some internal wrestling with like that creed. Yep. It's, it's an important moment, but it, it is, goes beyond yes. that like rigid structure. Yeah. The rigid structure into like something deeper, you know, and, and there's, there is a lot of exploration of that in the, in the second season. Yes. All right. So we'll circle back. Yeah, yeah. Circle back after Dan. We'll have part two of, yeah. I mean, yeah. when the book of Boba comes out, we can probably have, or once it's all come out, we can probably like revisit this. Right. This it's, is why we just need pause buttons. Yeah. Time travel as a construct is really dumb. If you just have a pause button and just stop time, you get so much more done. You Uh can see all movies all within like literally one nanosecond (laughs) if you just pause time. (laughs) You just could pause time. Yes. But then when the movie play, if time was paused. Like if you had a bubble around Uh, you. It's like a bubble of time. Yes. Or if like you touch someone, Uh they're like within your bubble. Uh Because I mean. Like the flash. Kind of. yeah. Yeah. But that way, you know. You can see all the movies because time is relative to you, Mm -hmm. um, not to everything else. You can be able to watch all the movies, watch season two of Mandalorian, and do a whole lot more if you just hit pause. Did you ever read uh, The Once and Future King? Yeah. It's the King Arthur story. Okay. Right? And, by uh, T.H. White. By T.H. White. That's really good. The Disney movie Sword in the Stone is book one of The Once and Future King, right? Okay. And The Once and Future King, Merlin's moving through time backwards, you mm. know? And so goodbyes are really good events for Merlin because yeah. he knows he's about to meet somebody and hellos are really sad events for him because he knows he's about to... Not at all he, like River Song and Matt Smith stock. No, no. No, no, um, no parallels. <laughs> But this is a long setup for a funny comic that I, I once read. <laughs> Did you ever see the movie Memento? Mm-hmm. Right. Oh. Where, where the last scene, it goes, this, the movie plays backwards. Yeah. And the comic basically said, Merlin would be the only person who thought this this was a simple movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, that was straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm but, trying to think back on that. Wasn't that was that Nolan's breakout film? Yes, it was. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It was. Ah, uh, good times. Good times. Yes. yes. Good times. Anyway, I want to explore back the whole concept of the armor mm-hmm. as much as we can from season okay. one. Anyway, okay. Because I like that idea. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more I like about it too, where it's obvious that you earn better quality armor as you go, mm-hmm. earning the signet. Yeah, so yeah. this is where Lutherans, you don't earn anything, you don't earn anything, you don't earn anything. <laughs> well, yes and no, though. But, I mean, you have confirmation, which no, would be true. earning your signet, because mm. then you were a member of the church. Right. Yeah, it depends on how you think about it. Right. But I kind of think about confirmation as taking ownership of a gift other people have been stewarding for you. Your parents have been kind of responsible for it up till that point. 
but at confirmation, it's really you at this point. You Except know. it was my parents for my confirmation. No, I know. <laughs> In your specific case, yes. <laughs> that's like I was a pastor's kid. You know, yeah, like in my specific case, we're exceptions. Here. And I was yes. found by the Air Force by a rock in the desert. Yeah. In Roswell, New Mexico? I'm not at liberty to disclose any further. <laughs> Lest Aliens. my co-hosts and anyone who has heard this podcast mysteriously disappears right. in the deep of night. There's just dead noise. Right. Anyway, we're completely normal. Liar! Liar! <laughs> right. So there is a sense of like, confirmation is about you taking ownership of something that's been given to you, but you haven't been wholly responsible for and so now it's yours to be responsible for, yeah. you know, at, at that point. Similar to the foundling. Yeah. The child. Right. Like, There's a lot of similarities there. I mean, yeah. You were given the gift of being a Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. And when you earn your signet, you were actually a Mandalorian. Right. You've... Even if you're only a clan of two. Yep. Right. And that gets back to the other parallel. When mm-hmm. I first started watching it, mm-hmm. and this still holds for me, right. it really reminds me of an old Japanese manga called Lone Wolf and Cub. Mm-hmm. where it's uh, basically a ronin with his son. Mm. And his son is just a baby. So he's just carting around his son doing ronin things through right. feudal Japan. Right. And th- this has a lot of that feel to it. Yeah. The way the father relates to the son, mm-hmm. the way the Mandalorian relates to the kid. Mm-hmm. There are no similarities between, you know, Japanese culture and Star Wars. None no, whatsoever. No, 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 no. Uh-huh. Like Seven Samurai in the second episode nope. of the first season. Nope. Yeah. Nope, definitely no, not. Nothing there. No. Yeah. Definitely not the entire basis of A New Hope. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. I hope that listeners get our sarcasm uh, at some yeah, point please, soon. There's sarcasm tags, everybody's <laughs> sarcasm tags. You know, the other interesting thing about it, from like a parallel, like we kind of hope, you know, this is what church people become in their own way. That's actually a much smaller vision for the church. There aren't a lot of Mandalorian, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. there aren't a lot in this group, you know? And like, if you're that group of really devoted people, by that very nature, you're going to be a smaller group. Which is a little different than I think most churches think about themselves, because they think bigger is better, almost like an empire, kind of, if I have more stormtroopers, yeah. you know. Is that an American thing? You know, because it seems like mega churches are very unique to the U.S. They started here, and we've kind of unfortunately exported them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're going to export churches. Yeah, well, we've exported the model, unfortunately. Yeah. So you'll find them in other in other countries now, yeah. you know. It, the metaphor, or what I always say, you know, Jesus, when he, whenever he talks about the church, his metaphors are actually always small things. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. Salt, light, mustard seeds. And even the mustard seed, when he makes the allusion to the, the what it grows into, he says, he doesn't say it grows into a mighty oak tree. He says mm-hmm. it grows into the greatest of all shrubs. Shrubbery. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. That's what, that I always want to say My name that. is Roger. Roger the Shrubber. Right. That's what I always want to say when I'm up there. We and, are the knights that say me. Right. You have no idea how tempted I am to say that every time that reading comes up. <laughs> so what you're saying is if Dan and I would just start yelling me in the middle I of would, the... I would lose all capacity to control myself. So when? So when? So according to the calendar, when is the next reading? Uh, that reading will pop up probably in year A, so we're going into year C. So you oh, not, not so about a year. So okay, mark your calendars. We, we are going to right. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's going to so. be me day. 
You're right. Exactly. <laughs> right. I'll be like, yep, there it is. There, there, there it is. But, like, you know, they're all small things, right? So, like, but we have this idea that the church is this big thing, mm-hmm. you know? And, like, the first, I always ask churches, like, what's your dream for your church? Reflexively, without any more thought, everybody's first answer, grow, be bigger. I don't mind that answer, but you got to work to be like, okay, what is that actually? Are you just saying that because you think that's good? Or, like, what do you really want? Because with size, mm-hmm. the larger it gets, the harder it is to maintain the sense of community. That's that's part of why I always felt like a stranger in a strange land going to Mass, mm-hmm. right? Because it was just being herded in. Mm-hmm. There's no direct address, you yeah. know, the people around you. They actually, a lot of churches, they look at you askance. Right. If you actually heartfelt wish them peace. Right. As opposed to just blandly... Peace be with you. Right. Mm. Peace be with you. Might as well be a Dalek out there. You right, know, just, right. Peace, peace, peace. But yeah, you know, and that and it, a lot of that's the yeah, size of yeah. it, right? It, it, you become more and more anonymous. Yeah. More and more just a cog. Right. Well, and what builds community is different in that size versus our size. Yeah. There's 2,000 families at the average Catholic parish. Yeah. Like at that size. <laughs> yeah. How <laughs> you can know? you know everybody? Right. And and that's fine. You know, there are different models for how church works. Mm-hmm. At that size, you're what we call, it's called the corporate model. It's just everybody acts differently. You're staff-driven at that point. Pastor's CEO is not really, you know, what I am. Yeah. It's a different model. One model I did like that I saw at a larger church was mm. they basically broke down into sub-communities. Well, that's how you got to do it at those big churches. And almost always there are some version of that. That's how you do it at those big churches is you break everybody into small groups. Your small group becomes the focus of your community at church. I mean, I do remember during multiple call processes, mm-hmm. I mean, yours specifically, mm-hmm. because my parents were routinely on the call committee mm-hmm. about finding pastors that didn't want to grow the church itself, mm-hmm. but grow what we do. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. with Bold, you know, mm-hmm. you know, other programs that we have here, mm-hmm. growing those programs that not the church itself. <laughs> I think growth is good. You know, we should want to share the gospel. We should want to share what we have here at Resurrection. You know, I think we've got a good community that Hilliard needs, quite honestly. You know, it's like, I want to share it with more people, but first, we have to have that happen, you've actually got to do it, you mm-hmm. know, which is kind of the trick. Yeah. <laughs> and that's harder than it seems. Like, you actually got to go out and share, hey, come over here, yeah. you know, for this. And yeah, and the other part of it is... It's not just about counting butts in the seats on Sunday. Like, it is about bold and loving your neighbor and all that stuff. Yeah. Loving your neighbor and all that stuff. No! Loving your neighbor. Right. Well, yeah. That's a biggie. Right. It is a biggie. It is the biggie. Right. Or loving your foundling. Right. (laughs) Loving your foundling. (laughs) Loving your foundling. So are you you guys done with the armor analogy? That's all I got for it, really. What else is there to say? I mean... That was like our flattest ending of a topic ever. We'll, after well, after two and a half whole episodes, yeah, yeah. Half. we're yeah. done with that point. <laughs> yeah. We're not like building up to something. No, like this mm-hmm. was the point the entire time. This is where we're at. This is where we're at. Done. Okay, so for our game today, best depiction of Christianity in sci-fi, fantasy, visual media. Okay, I will start. I'm going to take Daredevil. Oh, okay, the Netflix TV show. Mm-hmm. They must have had an actual theologian I, I think they <laughs> writing did. some of no, that. No, I, I think they actually did have right. a father as a console. Yeah. Like, I really think they did. Because, yeah. like, his his interactions with the church, mm-hmm. his interactions with his priest were some of the most realistic 
Like that was the most realistic priest I'd I'd yeah. seen. <laughs> Including the scene at the end of the near the end of the show when he's in the bar and he's not wearing his collar and he's winning the pool game and Matt walks in and goes Father whatever his name is and the guy playing it's like you're a priest what the hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. and like he just puts his money down and gives it to you know yeah. like like that is something I've done it's like I don't want to tell people I'm a pastor like people freak out like <laughs> you know like, I'm at the bar I don't want to. I don't want to tell people I'm a pastor, you know, like, yeah. like, what do you do for your job? Like, well, I'm in human services. Like <laughs> Transportation of human services, transportation of humans. What kind of human services yeah, do right. offer here? Like people like, it's like, what are you, like, what do you do? It's like, well, my job, I help people, yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm a bounty hunter. Right. For God. Right. And then they're like, what do you, oh, tell me about more. It's like, dang it. <laughs> I've done that. And again, just Matthew's relationship to church is a very, Matt Murdoch's relationship to church is a very real relationship to church, both his struggles and his desire to keep coming back to it. Yeah. You know, like... There's a complexity to it that's real for... That's real. And complexity doesn't mean it's bad ever for him, just it's it's not just simple, oh, I'm happy and I'm faithful, you know, which is often what the pastor gets reduced down to, you know, every time I see it. And all those Marvel Netflix shows are actually remarkably theologically coherent mm-hmm. you know jessica mm-hmm. jones and luke cage and they were all there were subtle religious themes underneath kind of, all of them yeah. underneath all of them and they were all remarkably coherent religious themes in general so um but matt murdoch's relationship to church and the marvel netflix yeah. series was probably some of the best well and in the comics yeah. And yeah. so so strongly that yeah. mm-hmm. you know, before we open the mics Dave and I were talking about how Hollywood always feels like they've got to muck with the comic books. Mm-hmm. And whenever they muck really deeply, they ruin it. Yeah. But Daredevil, even mm-hmm. though not the most acclaimed movie version, even that, where does it open? It opens in a, in, in a church. church. Right. You know, so they, they at least maintain that part of it because it's so critical to who Matt Murdock is. Right, to who Matt Murdock is. And it's critical, again, it's critical in a way that's real. It's yeah. not like... You know, he's not just crusader out there. You right. know, it's, he's not a paladin or something. You know, right. like he's, it's a real faith that has its whole characteristics. You know, it's like, oh, I would know this dude in church. You know, that's yeah. what I feel like. Yeah. Like, I would know this guy walks into my office. How the priest is kind of like, well, I'm not stupid, Matt. I kind of like, you know, like that's the other thing. Like priests are often like pastors and priests are stupid so often. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. Well, I'm not dumb, Matt. He says in the show, like I have kind of an idea. <laughs> like you don't have to tell me, please don't. But like, <laughs> I mean, you did go to graduate school, so. right? Right. Like yeah. that's often what it is with people, you know. It's, it's, and it's like, it's like I kind of got an idea, guys. Like, I'm not, I'm not dumb. <laughs> you know, that's mine. Okay, Drew, what's yours? I wouldn't say it would be the best representation, Mm -hmm. but the one I would pick would be, you know, in Doctor Who, in Mm. Matt Smith's series, the Church of the Papal Mainframe. Yes, Mm. yes. So... You're wearing clothes, so can you actually be a follow-up? So, um, in most of Matt Smith's episodes, it boils down to, you know, his death and how the church was involved in his death Mm -hmm. multiple times deaths actually Mm -hmm. so they made a series of aliens that were called the silence 
that you would, you know, give your confession to them, you would say it out loud, and then you would turn around and completely forget that you said it. Mm. Because you forgot them. Yeah. Right. The moment you, you take them. your eyes off of them, you forget them. Yes. Mm. The role that the church played, you know, mm-hmm. with the doctor's wife, his best friend's child, you know, even at the very end when he knows, like, he has to go to a planet and he has to die, the church is there and actually protects him at the end yeah. after they're like for so very long trying to kill him that, that would be my choice okay i'm gonna go with something that may surprise people i'm going with the george powell version of the war of the worlds oh. from the 50s fascinating before even i was born okay so say more in that one, uh-huh. toward the end, as science and the military have failed to repel the Martians, uh-huh. the chief scientist that it centers around goes into a church. And that's the last uh-huh. sanctuary of humankind that they show in the movie is this yeah. church. Uh-huh. And they're all praying some kind of restitution, not restitution, but rescue. Right, salvation, right. And that's when the Martians succumb to the bacteria. And so that, that's what I'm going to go with, okay. which I find interesting because one of the reasons that C.S. Lewis wrote his sci-fi was mm. to counteract H.G. Wells. Yeah. Because he felt that Wells was too science-oriented right. and pulling faith out of the picture. Mm-hmm. It was humanity and knowledge mm. and scientific discovery that yeah. would be humankind's salvation. And Lewis didn't like that. No. So that's part of why he, he went from fantasy to sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And so I right. find it interesting that in this adaptation of Wells's mm-hmm. seminal work, mm-hmm. right. this influx of yeah. Christian, and it's very clearly a Christian church that he's going into. Yeah. I can't tell if it's Episcopalian or in the 50s, Catholic. Just assume they're all Episcopalian. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Powell amplifies mm-hmm. the Christian undertones that Wells is more subtle with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, that's an interesting... So that's what I'm going mm. with. Interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's an interesting... Because that's what he says in the book, right? After all of men's devices had failed, mm-hmm. you know... The simplest of the God's creation. creation. You know, that God put in his infinite wisdom. That is an interesting ending to a book that is very dry theologically yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Right? Fascinating. Yeah. So, so there's it. There you go. There we go. Ha! But that surprised y'all. It did surprise you. <laughs> no, because Dan would never pick an obscure reference. That no, never an obscure are... reference from. <laughs> no, right? Definitely not. Never. And this does mean we'll have to talk about sometimes C.S. Lewis's space trilogy. Yes, but I think we'll save that for another episode. Pastor Reichert had a summer series about Lord of the Rings mm. in church. Here's my rant on the movies versus the books. Okay. Okay. I think the movies were great adaptations of the books. They changed things, which you always do from a book, especially a book that big with that much background. Fair enough. I don't begrudge them most of the changes, except for the changes to Faramir. Hmm. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. Faramir, changes to Faramir drive me crazy because in the book, Faramir is not really tempted by the ring at all. He spends like two seconds... Mm-hmm. thinking about it. And then he's like, hell no. <laughs> you know, like this yeah. thing's evil. I'm not going to touch it. Yeah. And in the books, that represents Tolkien's belief that man has a capacity to resist evil. Faramir's the visible saint, right? He's, he's man's capacity to do good, mm-hmm. you know? Basically, the reason his character exists, <laughs> you know, is to illustrate that somebody can resist the ring, Mm-hmm. It is possible to do that. And that's why his character exists. So in the movies, he's tempted by it for this whole time. And by being tempted by it, 
it basically invalidates his whole character's being. You know, like suddenly there's no real purpose for him being in the movie. He has no raison d'etre. Right. Well, yeah. exactly. Like he does it. Like he has no reason for being there because he's tempted by it. And yeah, he gives it up in the end. And like I've heard Jackson explain it as like we needed both to create some tension in that second act of the movie, of the second movie. And I didn't know how to explain why everybody else was tempted with this thing, but Faramir wasn't, mm. you know, and I get that explanation, but I wanted to be like, Jackson, <laughs> he exists in the book for a clear reason yeah. <laughs> to illustrate the goodness of man. You didn't, you just invalidated that. That's yeah. my rant on Faramir. <laughs> I the movies versus the book. My big disappointment was the complete eradication of Tom Bombadil. I get why they didn't put him in. But Tom Bombadil is why Lord of the Rings is a far more believable universe than Star Wars because Star Wars, everything hangs too neatly together. Mm-hmm. You know, what do you, Anakin built C3PO, please? R2D2? Yeah, R2D2 was Obi-Wan's. Uh, was droid. the repair <laughs> droid on the, on the ship in the first movie? Please. Yeah. You know, like, God help me. Like,. <laughs> <laughs> Like, everything hangs together just way too nicely. Oh, so they were doing Disney before Disney was doing all the tie-ins with Marvel and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, right, um, right, 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 And, no, like, everything no. just hangs together way too nicely. Because life doesn't work that way. Right. Life does not hang what? together as nicely as it does in Lucas's universe. And in the Tom Bombadil, that's what makes the whole world believable. Is Yeah, you go wandering through the woods and you meet the crazy guy. And he has no connection to the rest of the story. <laughs> the rest of the story. Right. But you're like, well, that was a fascinating little interlude in life. <laughs> <laughs> and like, like, that's how real life works. You know, it's that they're these pieces that are kind of like off in the corner that you're like, well, that doesn't really gear wise, like connect to anything. But that's fine because that's mm. what li- real life is like. Yeah. You know, the world's bigger than just our thing. I think that's why Tom, I mean, from the time I was a kid, when I first yeah. read The Hobbit and the trilogy. Yeah. Tom Bombadil stuck out as one of my favorites. And I think that's exactly why, because it was like, he's just, oh, here. Random NPC. You're right. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. That's what he is. It's like, it's like but, but, that's, but the random NPCs exist in real life. You know, the world is filled with them. They want side quest. No, not side quest. No, right. All right, so here's the real question. Okay. I didn't mm. give you prep you guys for this one. But yes. Who is Tom Bombadil? Ooh. What's your interpretation? Is he God? What is he? As an adult, mm-hmm. I would say, yes, that's exactly who he is. As a kid, okay. what I saw him was, mm-hmm. as was father nature. He was the counterpoint to mother nature to me. Okay. The embodiment of that. Right. And just the way he exists mm-hmm. there, the way he exists with Middle Earth's natural world. Yeah. He, in my prepubescent head, mm-hmm. I just saw him as the male version of mother nature. Okay. As an adult, that is God. That's yeah. an avatar for God. Yeah. So yeah, kind of like the equivalent of in Kevin Smith's dogma. Yeah. And right. you know, God comes down to play skee ball. Yeah. And right. manifest in human form. Right. Kind of the same thing. It's like, you know, yeah, go check out Middle Earth for a while. So right. we'll kind of incarnate as Tom Bombadil. Okay. So I see him as an incarnation of Tolkien talks about the secret fire that gives all things life. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, that's kind of what I think he's he's not like Iluvatar, the god figure of the books, but that he's like the embodiment of life itself. Self, yeah. You know, that he's like the embodiment of that secret fire. That's why he's tied specifically to the earth, Mm -hmm. you know, like a living thing. Like, 
but that was kind of my interpretation of him. He's, he's basically kind of like the Holy Spirit, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like wandering around out there. I think our views are complimentary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Drew? I have no views because as before today, I had no idea who you were, oh, that, person, okay. that character was. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah so. Because I could not, I cannot read Tolkien. I, uh, yeah. It is just nails on a chalkboard. You don't. He does have to describe the view from every hill in Middle Earth. Yes. You <laughs> don't need to have a paragraph about each hill. Right. <laughs> this is the hill. This is a history. And, you yes. Know, it's like, oh my God. Uh, it reminds me of the first chapters of the gospel where they're doing all the lineage. Uh-huh, right. Like, it's it like, just felt like that the entire time. Right. Just like, yeah. Those lineages are actually kind of important. They but, are. But we'll get there. Yeah. They are. <laughs> but they're very boring. They are very boring. Lewis has this line in one of his books where he says, if you are bored or know this information already, you may skip it. Because after all, you are the reader, and you have all the power in this situation. <laughs> and I always thought that was a subtle dig at Tolkien. <laughs> 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 yes. like I always, I've always thought that was like, Lewis is like, he, it's not even referencing Tolkien at all, but it was like that in his head he had this like, God, I've read J.R.'s work too much, and it just, <laughs> I can't stand. I got to get the dialogue somewhere in this thing. <laughs> so I, I don't like, need to know how many blades of grass are in Middle Earth. Right, or <laughs> what the descendant-like tree of this one skeleton we found and how it's rooted back to somebody from across the sea. Like, I don't need to know. <laughs> yep. So when do we get the Lord of the Rings, the expurgated version? Next week? Next week, right. <laughs> I, I feel like like every single week we've just kind of like blended into what the next week uh-huh. was without any intention <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> this is just all organic listeners. Right. And on that note, listeners, on our organic stream of thought. <laughs> we're a wholesome podcast because we're yeah. all organic. Yeah, there we go. Thank you for listening, listeners. This has been Church in Space. In 3D. Did you remember the tires? I didn't remember the tires. Did you remember the Beskar? I didn't remember the Beskar. But it's got an imperial stamp. That's, I mean, that's good enough.